I know oh, you like that. How long you been back, man? I see the girls in the club, they get all right, birthday candles versus new tires. Here they come off turn four for the win for the first time this year. Kyle Bush goes to victory lane. He wins the Bushy McCush race 400. Wow. Happy birthday, Kyle. Great job. Another. Kevin Harvick coming from clear back there. And poor Kyle Larson. What a heartbreak for him. And another winner, Mike. It's throwback weekend in Darlington, so try to mix it up a little bit. Throwback weekend in the Full Tank with Phil podcast. So welcome to the podcast. We've got a jam-packed episode this week. We're going to start by taking a look back at Kansas. We always take a look back, try to recount how we did with our bets, and then talk about any of the topics, the takeaways, the things that were getting some buzz after the race. So we will start with that at Kansas. Then a quick note about the Derby. We broke that down last week. We're going to quick side note on that. And then we're going to get right into throwback weekend in Darlington. Lots to talk about. We'll start talking about the track stats and everything that comes with Darlington. And then it's all about the picks, winners, props, top tens, head to heads, everything that we usually do. And I'm feeling particularly good about the head to head section. If I don't say so myself here and then we're gonna have a phil's fired up section a lot of news and notes going on in nascar um but we will focus mainly on a rant around the all-star race because we didn't get a chance to talk about that last week they announced the rules and the breakdown for the all-star race coming up at texas in a few weeks and just want to rant about that as well as a few thoughts on the next gen reveal as well so a lot to get to Um, and I'm very excited for it. You know, it's going to be a a fun episode. So we'll take a look back here at Kansas. My thoughts on that race kind of unfiltered. It was sort of like a basketball game, right? The little bit boring in the beginning and moving pretty quickly. Honestly, the, the first few stages, there was no cautions except for the stage breaks And then it got to like the last 20 laps or so. I don't know the exact number, but at that point, everything came to a screeching halt. So just like the end of a a basketball game, how there's a million timeouts and million stoppages and the last two minutes takes a half hour. That's what it felt like. And once again, I, I don't know how to overcome this, but once again, midway through stage three, I think I had every single bet that I made was hitting. It was wild. I had the winner. I had the top tens that we selected. I had all of my head-to-head picks, not just the ones from the podcast, but the random race day parlays we put in there on Instagram. Everything was hitting on all cylinders. It was unbelievable. And then all hell broke loose and kind of shuffled everything up. Very interesting. So I thought the race itself was relatively boring until the last 20 minutes. Then it got you know, pretty exciting. We saw multiple guys up front. Larson seemed like he was going to be running away with that race all day. And then once again, he, he kind of lets it slip through his fingers. So um, couldn't believe that. Then Denny was up there. We had him. And then you saw what happened to him out basically the race there. Kyle Busch. I mean, let, let's just get right to that. Kyle Busch snags a win and very 
you know, pressure lifting for him in that 18 car. A lot going on with Kyle this week. Um, we, we have talked in the past about the off-track stuff with infertility, and they got some bad news in their family this week. You know, the, the latest take um, didn't take, I guess, the latest attempt didn't take. So very upsetting there. But Kyle, on his birthday, sweeps the weekend at Kansas, won the truck race the night before, and then the cup race. So um, despite the stuff off the track, Kyle gets it done on the track and gets the monkey off his back, really. I mean, we were saying... You know, some of these guys that were taken on the winner's section, he was one that we didn't call out last week, uh, but it was only a matter of time. And, you know, sure enough, he takes advantage of some controlled chaos there. I mean, everybody was getting into it at the end. So uh, we missed the winner's pick. Harvick came, you know, close at the end. We were very close with you know, Hamlin, and then he wrecked out. Harvick made an attempt at it. Elliott came out of nowhere on one of those restarts. I, I wasn't sure if he had enough. Clearly, he didn't, but it was interesting to see him flying out of nowhere. Our top tens. I, I mean, I have to take a quick side note on the top tens. Christopher Bell and Alex Bowman, I believe, were the two guys we called out, and they were cruising, and then all of a sudden, both those guys wrecked out. So, very upsetting to see that happen. And in the head-to-head section, we were cruising there as well. Ended up 2-1, and one, so came out on top. But it was Ricky Stenhouse who blew it for us again. He was crushing it all race against Eric Jones. And then he ends up wrecking out in the craziness within the last 20 laps or so. So very, very wild stuff when you're following along with the bets. That's why you make these bets. It makes these races that much more interesting. I was on the edge of my seat. Now, the thing that everyone's probably beaten into the ground so far uh, this week post-race was the whole tire issue with Tyler Reddick's tire, uh, the caution, would they throw it, would they not? Um, it was, you know, a big point of contention for the broadcast and for people on Twitter and social media. Uh, pretty upset with NASCAR for holding off throwing that caution. And then once everybody cycled through, basically Chris Buescher was playing chicken with the NASCAR officials to see when they would throw it. And once he finally came in, then they threw it. I mean, for me in this podcast point of view, it's really about how we would benefit from the, the bets that we made. I kind of wanted to see everybody cycle through just so things would get back in um, and not knock off our, our bets that we're currently hitting at that time. We needed Busher to cycle through. But as far as a logistical standpoint and what the rules should be, I think I kind of agree with most of the, the talking heads that, you know, if it's a safety issue, they should throw that caution right then and there. And then, you know, everything will adjust from that point. But um, not really much to say on that because it's not really a gambling related topic. It's it's really a rules topic and kind of tough to project how we would have done if they did throw it and Busher was out front. But you have to be disappointed if you did bet on Chris Busher. That would have been a huge, huge deal. Um, I bet you there were some people live betting Busher when that tire was sitting out there thinking, you know, hey, maybe we can get a, a quick uh, payout here if they do throw this caution. So a little inconsistent there. The drivers didn't seem too upset about it. Obviously, Busher was, but the, the big name drivers, the, the guys who are more outspoken, they were not as pissed as you think. Um, so we'll let it go. Ten winners in 11 races is the other takeaway here. And there are some big names out there that have not won yet. So we are really going to have maybe like 13 winners this year. 
which is wild. It's only three spots for people to point themselves in. Um, we are actually going to call out two guys in the winner section that have not won yet this year because I think it's very possible we get another one of these guys at Darlington. So that's the Kansas takeaway. You know, it, it, it was another Kyle Larson race that he let slip through his fingers. Um, some wildness at the end. Had some fun. Hit some bets. Missed others. And, hey, we'll move on to Darlington. Now, um, the Derby real quick we did touch on that last week and um called out we basically just kind of riffed on some horses i got hit up on instagram if anyone follows me on there at full tank phillips somebody asked me straight up who do you like and i gave two horses rock your world and medina spirit and medina spirit was the one that went out and won i cashed in heavy on that ticket um didn't hit any of the exact boxes or the trifectas but uh, i did bet quite a bit on the eight horse so feeling pretty good about that but um, in any case, it was a fun race, very exciting race. So we'll look forward to the, the rest of the Triple Crown this year. Maybe we'll, we'll do that same thing again with the Preakness in a few weeks. So let's move forward. Looking ahead, Darlington. This is the first time that there was a Darlington race scheduled for the springtime. I know we had a couple last year, but that was COVID times, a doubleheader actually. So... It's also the first race scheduled on Mother's Day Sunday in a very long time. So putting gambling aside for a second, it's going to be interesting to see what the ratings are this weekend at Darlington. It's going to be interesting to see what the attendance looks like, uh, just to see if that's something that would work out. I don't know. I'm, I'm anxious to see the numbers there. So throwback weekend has usually been the Southern 500 in the fall, and now they're moving it to this first race they got two races now this year. First time in a long time they've had that on the schedule to start the year. So a lot of things happening with Darlington. And I personally, you know, maybe it's just because I haven't hit bets in Darlington the past few years. But I personally, you know, saw this and I was like, man, I don't know. This race hasn't really been too interesting to me in the past. But I went back and took a look at the Jeff Gluck poll and, yeah, they, they definitely have some races that are up there. Uh, last year's races were, were definitely pretty entertaining, according to that poll, a couple 90s up there from the last year or so. So um, I'll take that back. I, I was planning on coming in and saying, you know, it could be a pretty boring track. It's a mile point three six. It's this like in-between type of racetrack. Um, so a little bit more technical, maybe tough to pass, uh, maybe not as fun, but... Hey, the, the Gluck poll says that it has been, so we'll see how it plays out this week. So looking at track stats for Darlington, some important notes here. We're going to call them out. 119 races overall. NASCAR has been here. The winner starting on the poll, it's happened 20 times. The last time it's happened is Kevin Harvick in 2014. So clearly been a little bit while there. Since the last time that happened, and Brad Kozlowski is your guy starting on the pole this week. So the winner starting within the top five, 59% of the time it's happened here at Darlington, and starting in the top 10, 84% of the time. That is a very, very high number. So maybe that's where I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe less fun of a race. That's a, a monster number, 84%. Starting outside of the top 20, it's only happened six times in the history of this racetrack. That's 119 races. That's a very few amount of times. Now, the manufacturer trends, 
Toyota and Ford have combined to win the last eight races. And, you know, to pile on Chevy's non-success here, there is not an active Chevy driver who has won in the field starting on Sunday at Darlington before. That is an interesting stat. Harvick, when he won in 2014 from the pole, he was driving a Chevy. And then after that, it's people like Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon who aren't in the sport anymore. So no active Chevy drivers won here. If you're Chevy, man, that's kind of rough going into it. But we'll see kind of how it happens here. We actually have one of each in the winner's section this week. So um, we'll talk about who from Chevy might be able to snap that trend. But in any case, there's an interesting stat that we want to call out here. And that is the winner starting within the top five. That hasn't happened in the last eight races. So if that trend were to continue, you would want to avoid anyone starting in that top five. And we're going to call out a couple people who are not starting within the top five. So very interesting because you see that stat starting within the top 10 is 84% of the time. But, you know, that trend recently within the top five. So it's this like weird bubble, you know, from six to 10. That seems like it's a sweet spot. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit there. This is such a unique racetrack. When you're looking at, you know, stats here, there are sites out there that'll give you common racetracks, you know, to compare it to, comparable racetracks, I guess you should say. And the ones that they throw at you are a couple of the cookie cutters like Homestead Miami and Las Vegas. And then it also throws Bristol in there. So kind of uh, unique because those are clearly different racetracks all around. The other thing to call out is they had three races here last year, two, you know, back-to-back double headers in the spring and then the Southern 500 in the fall, which is so unique and outside of, you know, the norm for the NASCAR circuit. And what that means is these guys who were rookies last year, whereas, you know, we talk about them not getting too much experience. They, they got a decent helping of it last year. So they should be coming here this year with um, really no nerves to them coming into Darlington. So two this year, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. The throwback schemes are another thing. Sometimes you can get caught up in looking at the throwback schemes. They sometimes are very, very cool, and I'll see them and I'll say, I got to bet on that guy just based on the scheme alone. I'm sure on race day or maybe on Saturday night um, I'll get into that a little bit. But some of them – are kind of shitty. I got to be honest with you. It's like, you know, looking at them like, oh, this is the car we're trying to model it after. Uh, Some of it is just complete garbage. And then you got some people who don't even participate whatsoever, which I find pretty funny. Uh, So keep your eyes peeled. Don't be don't be fooled. Some of the designs, I mean, it doesn't matter, I guess, if the design doesn't look exactly like the one they're trying to model it after. But at least they try. You know what I mean? I will say that that may turn me off to some people who are kind of on my bubble of who I should take and maybe shouldn't take. Uh, if their throwback scheme sucks, I, I might be turned off to them. So it's a fun weekend regardless. Uh, I'm just trying to get a little fun with it here with the throwback schemes and how you can group that into your gambling. Now, let's talk winners. All right. Don't get mad at me. If you're someone who's looking for these like long shot bets this week to win the race, because I consider this racetrack pretty technical, it's hard to pass. I'm going with mostly chalk this week, honestly. And I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, sometimes I'm digging deep 
for the longer odds. And sometimes I just have to call spade a spade and say, you know, this is the reality of it. So, and the fact of the matter is some of these guys were calling out, you could say that they're chalk, you're still getting pretty good value. So let's get into them here. We're going to start with the guy who seems to be the man with the plan here based on how the odds have unfolded this week, and it's Kyle Larson. He's currently going off at plus 450 on most sports books. So he opened at plus 600. Now, I found that to be, you know, pretty solid when I first saw that. Like, yeah, that that seems to make sense. But soon after that, he dropped down to this plus 450 number. And on some books, he's even lower. It's like plus 400, I believe, on DraftKings. So the other thing that's interesting about that is you're talking about someone who missed all three races last year, and you're saying this is the guy? So that was a little bit intriguing to me, so I had to dig into him a little bit. So when we call out the last 10 races, we're actually, you know, because we're going to talk about that span for most drivers, we usually do, but for Kyle Larson, that span of the last 10 races is only talking about six races for him because he missed three last year, and then going back, he hadn't been in the the league long enough, basically. So in his last six races, he has three top fives and five top ten finishes. His average finish is 6.7. That's good enough for third out of everyone. In his last two starts, he finished third, second. So I guess the natural progression would be first. There's only one place to go if you're trying to get better than that, and it's first place. Uh, taking the checkered flag. So his driver rating is second compared to everyone, 117. And more recently, his most recent race was unbelievable. It was like the 120s. So very, very solid stats there. And his average running position is third compared to everyone, 7.9. So the thing about Kyle Larson is we've seen him dominate races this year. Last week was one of them and just not finishing it off. He's actually pretty lucky that He got that win earlier in the year because if he hadn't, he'd probably be getting some scrutiny right now. But this is someone who, you know, everyone seems to think he's the guy here and he should have multiple wins this year, like way more than he has. Maybe at least three, possibly four wins if you want to go to the Bristol Dirt Race as well. Now, this is an interesting stat that Jordan McAbee from Fantasy Racing Online Dot com. He's been a, a guest on the show a few times this year. He tweeted this out, and I could not resist relaying this to anybody listening because this was what really put it over the edge for me. Because I, I couldn't wrap my head around betting on a guy. How is this guy the favorite after missing all last year? Everybody else was getting valuable experience. Well, listen to this. We're talking about career fastest laps at Darling, Darlington. Excuse me. The leaders in that career fastest laps stat are Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, and Kurt Busch. That's the top five. Their career fastest laps are in the 300s. And the thing about them is that they've done that in 18 races and 17 races, depending on who you're talking about. The sixth place guy is Kyle Larson. And he's got 212 fastest laps in six races. That's a one-third of the time compared to those guys that we just mentioned. That is mind-blowing to me. So that really 
you know, put it over the edge. And if you want to talk about Chevy's needing something, they've just hit this dry spell here at Darlington. Well, this is the guy who can be the thirst quencher, honestly. And that top five stat, this is uh, a driver who's starting 14th. He's outside of the top five. It fits that narrative as well. He's got a pretty cool scheme going back to his own. I think it was like his first ever dirt track car scheme when he was a little kid. They did a, a vignette on it for Fox. So you'll probably see that on race day. So all in all, Kyle Larson seems to be a, a pick. He's the favorite, but I'm not scared of taking the favorite this week because I honestly think he's going to win the race. So if you're someone who disagrees with me and you're like, God damn it, Phil, I hate when you take the favorite. Well, here's a, an intriguing one for you. Because of what we've seen over the last few weeks with him dominating and then not finishing the way he should, there's a, a bet out there for top five finish, yes or no. And Kyle Larson is the only one who's plus money. He's plus 105 to not finish in the top five. So if you're someone who does not like anything I'm saying right now about Kyle Larson, this bet is available to you because if the same dance keeps happening, then you would cash in on that plus 105, leading you know, a lot of laps and then failing at the end, falling out, of the top five at the very end, well, you would cash in on that. I'm not going to take that bet, but I'm just throwing it out there for people who don't like taking Kyle Larson this week at Darlington. So let's move on to the next guy. And actually, the next two guys we've talked about last week. And these are two guys who have not won yet. And I just feel like the shoe has to drop eventually for either one of these two guys. I don't want to be in a Kyle Busch situation where I miss out on him. I gotta take them. And this week, you know, I was searching around for some other people because I don't like talking about the same guys back to back to back to back. But the stats kind of push me in this direction. So I'm taking Kevin Harvick plus 700 this week. That value is very good. Last week we had him. He snuck his way into a second place finish. He really came out of nowhere and it was getting closer towards the end. He had a penalty in those waning laps and then got bailed out a little bit for some more cautions and made a run out of it. And that's what you really want to see when you're talking about a team and a race shop that's kind of struggling to see him jump up like that and really try to go for it there at the end and, and be there in the end. His stats at Darlington are definitely jarring. Three wins in the last 10 races, excuse me, three wins, nine top fives. That's right. I said top fives and 10 top tens. So 100% of the time in the last 10 races, he's finished in the top 10. That's insane. His average finish is also insane. 3.5. Obviously, that's first on the circuit. Driver rating, first again, 119.5. Average running position is second, 7.8. So just there's not much you can say when you're looking at the historical stats to say, all right, well, Kevin Harvick, no, no chance I'm betting on him. He, they draw you in like a siren. Now, last year in 2020, it was obviously a year that he did very well. Two of the three races here, he won. So these numbers are just too good to resist. And when you take that into consideration with the fact that, yes, he struggled this year so far, but it just seems like they're getting closer and closer and closer. This could be it. This could be the time now. His numbers are consistent here. His driver rating is just as good back eight races ago or six years ago, 12 races ago, as it has been in the last four races. Just very consistently good, top of the 
heap here in NASCAR. So very good stuff here. And if you want to talk about the 2021 season and how he hasn't been the same Kevin Harvick of old, when you look at his best green flag laps, he has been best at the mile and a half tracks. Phoenix has been good for him. Uh, it's listed as a similar track to Darlington somehow. I don't know how, but you know that's one that he, he did well so far, among other mile and a halfs. So very, very interesting to see if this could be something he could sneak up and grab one here. Great value. Plus 700 is really the, the kicker. If he was going off at plus 550, I might avoid it because of his you know struggles this year. But 700, that's something that I'm interested in. So mark me down for the four car in a Ford. That you know goes with the manufacturer stuff there. Uh, mark me down for Kevin Harvick there, plus 700. Now the last guy you probably know I'm going to talk about, it's Denny Hamlin plus 600. Another good value for a very strong driver and a guy who has not won yet this year. Second favorite to Kyle Larson with the odds. And the fact of the matter is he just remains the best driver in the field week to week. I mean, it doesn't matter. Last week he had a bit of a rough finish, obviously, but he was up there competing. He very easily could have won that race. His points lead is just astronomical. The people that hate this playoff structure should be you know, thanking their lucky stars that we have it because he'd be locking up the championship in like August. He's just kicking everybody's ass at this point in time. So, and it's not like it's draining or or getting worse, you know, as the year goes on, if you look at the last four races in 2021, he's been in the top three for fastest green flag lap three of the four times in the last four races this year. So Denny is not letting off the gas, so to speak. Talking about Darlington specifically in his last 10 races, two wins, six top fives, seven top tens, average finish, 8.7. That's fifth on the circuit. He won the second race last year here at Darlington. So it was the the second half of the back-to-back in the spring. In the playoff race, he finished 13th. So when he finishes outside the top 10, this pattern that has happened so far in the last 10 races, any finish outside the top 10. He backs that up with a top five finish. So we'll see if that happens again. You know, maybe you're not willing to take Denny to win the race, but you could take him in that top five bet. That could be a a good one. You're still giving up a, a pretty penny to take him to finish in the top five, but still could be worth it based on that trend. And he also starts seventh. So that top five trend we mentioned, no person starting within the top five in the last eight races has won the race well he's starting seventh so if he were to win the race that trend would continue and his average running position at darlington is first compared to everyone 7.2 even better than harvick we just listed harvick's wild stats so hey mark it down his driver rating is fifth 106.5 it has to happen at some point right this guy i mean he's always there in stage three Every race seems like he's there in stage three, and if you're there and you're this good, there's that chance to to win the race. It's actually shocking that he has not won a race so far this year. He is now the last JGR driver to win this year, and he's the points leader. Absolutely insane, the people that haven't won this year. I mean, you're looking at him for JGR, you're looking at Elliott for Hendrick, and then you're looking at, you know, Stuart Haas Racing in general, the whole race shop doesn't have a win. Kevin Harvick is that guy. So that's why I feel pretty comfortable looking at this, you know, slew of guys who are picking here to win the race. 
Larson to get it done for Chevy to kind of snap back on track for himself to, to finally, you know, close again and, and finish it out. Then you have these two, Hamlin and, and Harvick, who were so good last year and haven't won yet. You know, any of these three guys I feel like are going to be good. So the value here for Hamlin plus 600, also pretty attractive. I think that could drop down towards race day. So all in all, I'm liking these picks. I'm feeling really confident. Even though it's mostly chalk, I'm into it. So to recap, it's Kyle Larson plus 450, Harvick plus 700, and Hamlin plus 600. Now, if you do want a complete long shot, I do have something. I put this out there on Instagram in a post earlier in this week, and this is more of a gambling gods situation, okay? So I... First thing I do to start the week is go to racingreference.com. It's a good spot to really just get the lay of the land for how the track is kind of set up and driver's history, et cetera, et cetera. So they've got a, a table that they have all of the past races and the winners and, you know, the details around each race. Well, it was clearly a copy and paste error on the side of racing reference, but they've got a, an empty box or an empty row rather for this year's race. It's got this year's race date and everything in there. And it also has the winner in a Ford starting eighth because that's what Harvick was last year. Um, so like I said, it was just a copy paste error. They deleted the person in the winner's column. So if you look, there is a Ford driver starting eighth and his name is Matt DiBettadetto and he's going off at plus 4,000. We're going to talk about him in the uh, top 10 section, but if you want a long shot and you believe in the gambling gods, maybe it wasn't a error on the racing reference side of things. Maybe it was the gambling gods trying to throw us a bone and try to give us somebody to cash in on a wild ticket plus 4,000. Just throwing it out there. If you're someone who believes in that type of stuff, I do from time to time. I think this is a bit of a stretch, but needed to call it out. To the top 10 section we go, and I'm happy to relay and let people know that the parlay on FanDuel with top 10 selections is still there. So it clearly is something that is going to stick around. I laid one last week. I put it out there on Instagram for people to look at. It didn't hit because of the Denny Hamlin situation on Sunday, but it doesn't matter. I'm just thrilled that this is a bet because it's just another topic for us. It's another fun thing to try to predict because it gives us something to play with for the bigger name drivers. So, for example, I already put together one and locked it in on FanDuel this week. So, this is looking at the guys at Darlington who have the most top 10 finishes on the circuit. We're talking Harvick, who we called out already, has 10 of them in the last 10 races. I'm sorry, when I say the most, I mean within the last 10. So Harvick has 10. Then we're going Kyle Busch, who has eight of them, and Denny Hamlin, who has seven top 10 finishes. So FanDuel is letting us put those three guys, if you select all of them to finish in the top 10 and you put them into a parlay, it's giving them a pretty modest payout, plus 146. Hey, not too shabby because those guys should be there. I mean, if they are not, something dramatic has happened 
either a, a big time wreck or a, a struggle on pit road, blown tire, something, some sort of act of God, uh, those guys should be there. So um, feeling pretty confident about it. If anybody makes me a little queasy, it's Kyle Busch, but he's coming off of a win. So they've got as much momentum as you could possibly have. So we're not asking much, just finishing the top 10 for one of the biggest names in NASCAR. I love it. I love this possibility. Hopefully we can keep calling this stuff out as we go forward. But three, I think, is the max. As you get closer to four and five, then it's getting a little crazy trying to predict basically who is finishing in the top 10. So three, keep it that, plus 146. I like that payout. Now, as we get to our typical picks for the top 10, it's a little tough this week. We're going to be stretching it just a little bit because it's really tough when you're looking at the track history for these drivers and then the odds. There aren't too many guys that are getting great odds to finish within the top 10. So we're going to be stretching a little bit. And there's also some guys that I'm kind of weary of. Like, for example, Kurt Busch. He's going off at plus 120. He's got six top 10 finishes in the last 10 races. That gets you attention, right? Because you're when you filter by total top 10 finishes within the last 10, he's up there. Like, I think he's fourth on the list. So you're saying to yourself, wow, plus 120, lock that in, baby. But then you have to realize Chip Ganassi has just been terrible this year. Kurt doesn't have a win at Darlington in his career. He's got a really long career. So... You know, clearly something just doesn't jive. I'm not going to take Kurt this week. I, I really need to see something more out of Ganassi in order to start getting back on the Kurt Busch train. Because I usually love betting on him to finish in the top 10. But he's burned us earlier in the year. I need to see him prove it as the year goes forward. So we're going to avoid him, but we're going to keep an eye on him. Because if he does finish in that top 10, then that kind of opens the door for us. Maybe things, you know, the tides are starting to shift a little bit. So let's talk about two guys kind of a, a similar story on both of them. Like I said, bit of a stretch, so I wouldn't, you know, be offended if you faded me on this, but I'm going with Matty D. I talked about him. Uh, he's plus 4,000 to win the race. Well, he's starting eighth, plus 135 to finish in the top 10. Eight starts here in his career, two top 10 finishes. His average finish isn't great, 21.0, but he has been a little bit all over the place when we're talking about the, the rides that he's had in his career. So when you look at recent races, within the last four races, two of them were those top 10 finishes. So 50% of the last four races he's in there. And he's got a little bit of a pattern going there where every other race he finishes in the top 10. So if that were to continue, well, his last race in the fall, he finished 21st. So hey, that would mean that he's up, he's due for that third top 10 finish of his career here. And then you look at 2021, I mean, he's been hanging in there, so to speak, this year. And when you're looking at green flag speed at some comparable racetracks this year, he's up there. He's in the low teens, like 13th, 12th at some of these racetracks where, you know, his fastest green flag lap, that's where he's finishing like 12th to 13th compared to everyone else. So, you know, decent value here, plus 135. The fact that, you know, he's starting that far up. Hey, I'll take it. You know what I mean? He's starting there. So decent value. Seems like he has the ability to keep the car in that area where he's starting. So lock me in. I like it. Matty D plus 135. Then we're going to go to another guy who's also plus 135. A little bit more of a stretch. Tyler Reddick. 
We talked about how these rookies from last year got some valuable experience because in years past, it would take rookies three years to get the experience that these guys had in one shot, basically in one weekend last year. Um, But his three races last year, he did have a top 10 in one of them. So his races, his finishes last year were 7th and 13th. So if you just looked at the double header, his average finish is 10th. That's what we're looking for. But the fall race kind of dropped off a little bit, 23rd. Now, you could maybe argue it was a playoff race and, you know, he got shuffled back a little bit. But in 2021, his green flag speed has been better and better and better. And he's coming off of the best green flag speed rank of the year. In last year, last week's race at Kansas, he was 10th in green flag speed. So to me, all things are pointing in the right direction for Tyler Reddick. I think, you know, they were off to a little bit of a tough start. It takes a little while for teams who aren't great to start the year to kind of right the ship a little bit. And maybe things are starting to shift a little bit for Reddick. So lock me in plus 135. I think he has the ability to put it back in the top 10. And if he were to do that, then that would give him two of his four starts uh, finishing the top 10 at Darlington. So I like that. So those are the two picks that I have here. Like I said, it's tough to do, tough to find value here in this section at a racetrack like this because of the, the fact that it is more of a technical track, tough to pass, etc. Now, to end this section, this prop section, I want to call out the lead lap finish stat that is available or, or the bet that is available on some books. I think it's now available in a couple different places or a couple different states, rather, where you can bet on a driver just to finish on the lead lap. That's really it. So this is another thing, kind of like the top 10, where you can throw a bunch of the big names up there, and you probably need to throw about five or six of them together to get a a decent value worth paying out. Or you could look at some of the names a little further down the list. So I went back, and last year, the cars that finished on the lead lap, the number of cars, were anywhere from 20 to 24th. So those are the types of guys that we're looking for if you just want to bet on one of those guys. And and when you're looking at average finish so far this year, that realm of driver, we're looking at people like Cole Custer, who had an average finish of 19.5 this year, Ryan Priest, 19.7, Chase Briscoe, 20.8, Ross Chastain, back down to 19.7. So those are the types of guys that you're talking about if you want the better value. And you can even parlay a couple of those guys in a lead lap finish parlay to get a better ticket for yourself um, in that bet. I mean, that that is something that is a lot more risky than just going with the big names, but makes it more interesting because those cautions, those lucky dogs, everything matters in that case. So like I said, the average for lead lap cars, probably right around that 22 mark. So that's what you want to consider when you're getting ready to place that bet if you have that ability to do that. We're going to be here all day. We're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. So now it's time to get to the head-to-heads, and I'm feeling really good about the head-to-heads this week. I said that in the intro, and I can't get over it. I mean, I like all three of these matchups for various reasons. So the first one, I mean, why wait around, right? Let's just get right to it. The first one is a matchup that I feel like we've been waiting all year for the sportsbooks to give this to us. It's Daniel Suarez 
versus Bubba Wallace, both going off at minus 115. I mean, how has it taken this long to get this matchup? These two teams are in such a similar situation. I think the sportsbooks just kind of assumed that the 23 would be better along than they are right now and, and wouldn't have to be faced with a head-to-head matchup against a team like Trackhouse. But, hey, it is what it is. So let's talk about these guys specifically at Darlington and then this season. So we're going to start with Bubba Wallace. Five starts at Darlington. No top 10s. No top 15s. His best finish is 16th. It was in race two of last year's events here at Darlington. His driver rating, both their driver ratings are not good. He has a slight edge. 55.7 is his driver rating. That's just really bad. So other than that, I mean, there's not much to talk about when it comes to Bubba Wallace at Darlington. The, the, the success is not there. So we're talking about Bubba in the 43 car, really. So now you just have to kind of focus on the 2021 season. His average finish is 21 point, sorry, 20.1. His average running position, 17.8. So he's been running better than where he's been finishing. And that is actually kind of flipped compared to Daniel Suarez, as we're going to touch on. Now, his driver rating for this season is actually a little bit better than Suarez, 71.3 compared to 65.4. And at Darlington, Bubba does have actually a head-to-head matchup advantage in their series against each other, three to two. So, you know, his numbers, not great at Darlington. This season, they're really close to Suarez. So now let's take a look at Daniel Suarez. Six starts, zero top tens, one top 15. It was an 11th place finish couple years back he's been on a hodgepodge of teams he's been the 19 car 41 car the 96 car and his average finish is 25.8 better than Bubba Wallace his driver rating is not though 54.1 so like I said they both kind of stink here so this season his average finish better than Bubba's 18.8 but his average running position is like 20.1. So like I said, they are legitimately flip-flopped when you're looking at their finish compared to their running position. One finishes better than they run and the other runs better than they finish. It's really, truly uncanny how connected these two guys are. So the difference that I think I have here in this matchup is the fact that seems like Trackhouse in general and Daniel Suarez seems to be more inclined to take risks. You know, they have some momentum going with them, but it seems like, and maybe it's just me misremembering things, but I feel like he's up front often. They try to do things to get themselves, you know, shake it up a little bit, get off cycle. They're up there, they're taking shots. And I don't see that coming from the 23 car week in and week out. I feel like I always see every race you know, the Suarez team up front in the top 10. I I don't remember seeing that as often for Bubba Wallace. So because of that, I'm going to go with Daniel Suarez here, minus 115, it's momentum. And the other thing is it's less pressure, honestly, I think, because hearing both team owners after each race, I've said this before on previous episodes, the owner of Trackhouse He has been very outspoken, like, hey, you know, we're we're trying to temper our expectations here. We're very happy with things playing out the way they are, but we're not expecting to, you know, finish top five every week. Meanwhile, 
You've got Denny Hamlin, seems like every week, kind of down on Bubba, saying that they need to do better. It's just, it's a different vibe on two teams that are so, so similar. So, bit of a wild card pick here, but I'm going with Suarez, minus 115, hoping that they do things to shake it up. The next head-to-head matchup, this is very similar to something we saw at Richmond, and it's Ryan Blaney, minus 129 as the favorite over Christopher Bell, minus 105. There, he's the underdog. He actually started when the books opened up at plus 100. Now he's down to minus 105, speaking of Christopher Bell. And I say this is similar to Richmond because this is another track that Blaney has yet to sort of capitalize on, yet to prove that he has a handle on it. So this is, again, fading Blaney and taking somebody else. So there's good reason why. So we'll start with Ryan Blaney. He's had some rough starts here. No top 10 finishes for Ryan Blaney in eight starts. Very odd to see that for somebody like this, right? His average finish is 20.4. Not good. And his average starting position is 11.4. So that's telling you that he just cannot figure it out. He just drops like a rock, it seems like. Not getting the the finishes that you would think a team like that or the teams that he's raced for deserve in those cases. His driver rating, pretty solid, 71.2. And more recently, in the last four races, jumps up to 75.6. So maybe he's starting to figure it out a little bit. But even the driver rating being at 71, you know, I wouldn't bet on a guy to win the race with a driver rating like that. But in a head-to-head matchup, I definitely consider it. But when you look at it compared to everyone else, that's 17th in driver rating compared to everyone. So that's not good. His best finish ever at Darlington was 13th. So very interesting. Numbers that you don't expect. His average running position here is 15.4. Just all stuff that don't seem to fit that brand that Ryan Planey has created in his young career. So then you look at Christopher Bell. Three starts last year as a rookie in the 95 car. It was in lesser equipment. The thing about it is the stats that he's put up with the exception of driver rating, which is very bad, 60.3, is pretty comparable to Blaney. His best finish is 11th. That's better than Ryan Blaney has ever had in eight starts. Christopher Bell's got an 11th in three starts. His average finish is 23.0. Compared to Blaney's, it's only a couple spots back. And his average starting position is 24. So he's improving on his average starting position when you look at his average finish. Interesting. And then I talked about how bad his driver rating is, which there's no way to hide that. It is very bad. But when you're looking at it compared to everyone else, Blaney was 17th in driver rating. Christopher Bell's 21st. So there's only a few spots back when you look at driver to driver. Um, If you want to try to spin that in any sort of positive, his average running position is 18.4, three spots back of Blaney's. So that's in lesser equipment now. When we want to look at where he is right now in the 20 car, it's the same song and dance we've preached all season long. And we got to go back to how the 20 car has done here historically. And Eric Jones is the name that jumps out to you. His numbers are just incredible here. He's sixth. I'm talking about Eric Jones now driving the, the 20 car. Sixth in driver rating compared to everyone. Second in average finish. That's the 20 team, you could say. He won in 2019. So that is Christopher Bell jumping into this vehicle now who that team clearly has figured out this racetrack. So it's the aggregate there, you know, everything combined 
makes you really attracted to the minus 105 for Christopher Bell. Now, looking at 2021, the season for both of them, Ryan Blaney has a 13.0 average finish and a 92.8 drive rating. Well, Christopher Bell's right there with him. A 13.8 average finish and a 91.3 drive rating. So clearly, Christopher Bell is not very far off from Ryan Blaney. Um, you could say that both of these guys are kind of the the last guy in their stable, Bell being kind of four out of four in JGR and Blaney being three out of three in Penske. Um, and that kind of fits with the stats. I'm going with Christopher Bell here, minus 105. I think we haven't seen the best of what Christopher Bell can do here in this equipment. Um, so I'm taking him to, to finish there. And I think he's definitely a top 10 play as well if you're a big Christopher Bell fan. So let's look at the last head-to-head matchup I'm going to talk about. And it's really the opposite of what we just discussed because this is Eric Amarola minus 134 versus Eric Jones plus 100. So that whole Jones 20 car Christopher Bell scenario, we're basically just flipping it here and we're fading Jones because of the reasons we like Christopher in the first thing. We're, we're taking the opposite of Eric Jones in this one, um, but just a battle of Eric's here. What first letter is going to win out, E or A? I don't know. We'll have to see. But I think this is going to be an Eric Amarola scenario where can he get it done? So I'll start with Jones because that's kind of a segue from our last matchup. And it's just so hard to judge him because of his previous stats here. I mean, I think somebody with the naked eye is going to look at him being up there with those great numbers and the fact that he's never finished outside of the top eight ever at Darlington. That is just wild. So that's going to get a lot of people to say, well, yeah, of course, Jones. I mean, plus 100. Wow. But it almost seems like you kind of have to throw all that out the window because Christopher Bell has proven that the 20 car matters. And, and really, Eric Jones has proven it uh, moving to that 43 car. We talked about Bubba Wallace being terrible here. Well, he was in that 43 car that Jones is now in. And his paint scheme is sick. We know it. But all of that, I'm kind of throwing out the, the fact that the paint scheme is, is very cool and the fact that his numbers are very good. It all kind of is falling on deaf ears when you're when you're talking to me here. I have to immediately go to the 2021 season and his average green flag speed is 20.0. His average finish is 21.8. Two top 10s so far this season. Three top 15s. His driver rating is just down. It's 57.6. Not good. Not good at all. So he's a lower tier driver, a, a single car team, definitely a team that you would consider weaker. Now he's going up against Eric Amarola, a team that is supposed to be one of the premier teams. That 10 car is a, a coveted spot. So in his last 10 races at Darlington, two top 10s, average finish is 16.6. He said back-to-back top 10 finishes last year, a ninth and a seventh. So he has improved when you're looking at his history at this racetrack. Now he's in that 10 car. He's someone who actually spent some time in the 43, but he has improved every single race, basically like clockwork at Darlington. His average running position is 16.8. Driver rating is 76.6. So all of those you know, averages are so solid. Then in 2021, we know the story. He's down, okay? But his stats in 2021 are essentially better than Eric Jones, maybe just slightly 
in some cases, like average finish. But his driver rating is much stronger, 66.7. He's got two top 10s, four top 15s this season so far. My pick is Eric Amarola. I just think at some point, Amarola is going to have to figure it back out. And Jones, his stats are kind of a facade. All right. I think it's it's really will Almarola perform and if he performs maybe seventy-five percent of what he can do, I think he's gonna beat Eric Jones in this matchup, minus one thirty-four. So those are the picks for the head to head section this week. There are some good ones out there that will maybe look to put a little race day parlay together. Um Matty D versus Austin Dillon is a good one I might want to look into, but um let me know what you think. If you've got any head-to-head matchups out there that you love, let me know. But in any case, the picks this week for the podcast are Suarez minus 115 over Bubba, Christopher Bell minus 105 over Blaney, and Almarola minus 134 over Eric Jones. So we're going to end it this week with a Phil's Fired Up rant. I think most of the times this year, things have been pretty positive, but I've got something that I just got to complain about. A lot of news in the NASCAR world, really. Um, Most recently, we've had the next-gen car uh, announcement and release, and you got to see what those vehicles are going to look like. Not much to really break down from a gambling perspective there. I think we got to see what those cars can actually do on the racetrack. Um, I think they ran the e-racing or the i-racing invitational, the pro-invitational Last night, it was a Wednesday night. I think they used the next-gen cars, potentially. I I tuned in there for a second. But in any case, big news in the NASCAR world. Just not too much to really break down from the gambler's angle there. We kind of have to wait and see how things pan out there and, and learn more about them as the 2022 season gets closer uh, to try to see, really, the, the bets that we're going to make next year. But The rant that I really have this week has to do with the All-Star Race. They announced the format for the All-Star Race last week. It was after I had already recorded the podcast for Kansas. So I'm getting a chance to rant about it right now because I'm pretty upset with it. Because I'm typically a fan of the All-Star Race because I like to see different changes that they might be able to use moving forward. You know, some some ways to innovate a little bit, make it more fun. I'm going to riff off at the end of this some possible suggestions that are not new, just things that I would like to see. Other people have said them, but we have to take a look at this. I'm going to try not to hurt your head when I'm giving you the synopsis of what the format's going to be like this year at Texas Motor Speedway. I believe it's June 13th. Now they're moving away from Charlotte, moving away from Bristol from last year, getting Texas a go at it. And Texas in general has just been trash racing to begin with. So that in itself is bad that we have to go to Texas for this. But now, let me try to break down what this race is going to be. A hundred laps is the total, and it's broken into six different rounds, all right? The first four rounds are going to be 15 laps long. In those rounds, every single lineup, when they line up, is set through a random draw. So the first 15 laps are going to go, they're going to stop, and then everything's going to be a random draw to see where they line up for round two. The field will be inverted for round three, and same for round four with a random draw. Just already ridiculous. Like, tough to follow if you're a new NASCAR fan. I think when you think of all-star races and and all-star events in any other sport, it's a situation where 
a, a casual person could tune in to the baseball all-star game or the you know NHL all-star game and generally understand the rules of those games. This, I mean, NASCAR's already kind of got a learning curve to it for a casual fan tuning in at random. This is making it very tough to follow right off the bat. Um, so now, after those four stages happen, now we get to round five, which will be a 30-lap section. And listen to this. This is just where it gets even more ridiculous. Starting positions for round five will consist of the cumulative finish from rounds one through four. The lowest cumulative finisher starts on the pole. Second lowest starts second and so on and so forth. All cars must enter pit road for a mandatory four tire pit stop during round five. Then starting positions in the final round are set by the finishing positions of round five. So basically rounds one through four are like heat races and you take the averages of all of those finishes and that's how you dictate the round five starting position and then however they finish in round five, that's how they're going to line up to start a 10 lap shootout in round six. I mean, I get it. I, I sort of understand what they're trying to do. But this execution is just so bad. Now, the winner of this race gets a million dollars. There's also a bonus payout for that mandatory pit stop for the fastest pit crew um, to get in and out for four tires, which I think is pretty cool. We're going to come back to that. But this is just insane. And for these reasons, I have to say, I don't believe I'm going to put out a podcast for that all-star race. I, I can't do it. There, It's impossible for anyone to be able to really predict any sort of head-to-head matchups or, or winners. You know, you could look at the Texas history for sure, but because of all these random wild card things thrown in here, how could you possibly predict anything? It's just going to be too wacky. So I'm kind of putting it out there early. That might be an off week for the, for the podcast. Um, it's just a little bit ridiculous. It's even more frustrating when you think about other things that could be taking the place of this type of shenanigans, you know, when you think of an all-star race, I mean, the, the field itself is barely even an all-star race anymore. It's basically just, you know, cutting the, the fat off. It's like half of the field that we normally see. There's not really much prestige to it anymore. There are so many different things that you could do. Like I was saying, none of this is really new, but these are things that I've thought of before where maybe you put kind of like the Le Mans uh, 24 hour race where they've got all sorts of different types of cars on the racetrack and you're fighting for the win your type of car. Let's put the, the best truck guys and Xfinity guys out there and, and slim down the field from the cup series to maybe the top 10 and you've got 30 drivers out there, or, or maybe it's, you know, 10 from cup five from trucks, five from Xfinity, and you got a, a list of 20 drivers out there and the cup cars, it would have to be a, a road course, but the cup cars are dodging the, the slower truck cars and, and they're all battling each other. That would be exciting to see, right? Because this whole thing is a gimmick. So why not make it even more gimmicky? Why put everyone through the mental gymnastics of trying to figure out the, the goddamn averages of the first four races or have heat races like legitimate heat races and eliminate people? You know, if you want to get even more crazy, I love brackets. 
brackets don't usually translate well to NASCAR, but you could have a, a bracket, you know, if you want to have six different rounds, well, let's have, you know, 16 drivers. And after each round, you know, the, the one seed is facing off against the 16 seed and whoever finishes ahead of the other moves on to the next round and you take cars off of the racetrack and you have a championship. Maybe it's a championship four of a, a five lap shootout or something, whatever, you know, that you have the final four in the bracket section. That's getting out of control. I know this, but the all-star race is supposed to be for spitballing like this, not for this just math problem. You know, that's really the quote unquote exciting part of it is like, oh, where are they going to start at to start round five? You know, that's silly to me. I also am pining for the days when they used to have like a skills comp with the teams. And I used to tune in for that. I used to think that was so cool. You should focus more on the teams. They're clearly trying to do a little bit of that by giving the, the fastest mandatory pit stop team a bonus. But I think you could have a, a skills competition. Um, they got away from it. They used to have it. And I think they should go back to it. So I'm on a rant because I think there's opportunity to do a lot more. Maybe you go to a racetrack that isn't on the circuit. It's a test for NASCAR in general. You know, if, if there's a track that fans are clamoring for, let's go there. Let's give that a shot. Why are we going to the most boring track on the circuit and making it way more complicated than it has to be and calling it entertainment? It, it's just really frustrating. So uh, I'm not happy about it. And, I, you know, a couple months away, maybe I'll soften on it as we get closer to it. But right now, I'm not too thrilled with the setup for the All-Star Race. And I'm not alone. You know, social media definitely backs me up there. And um, most talking heads in the NASCAR world kind of feel similar, even though some of them can't really talk bad about the sport. Um, they've still kind of voiced displeasure. So also race. I mean, if you disagree, let me know on Instagram at full tank film, definitely open to that conversation for someone who does like this type of situation. So that's the rant for this week. So that'll do it for this episode of the Full Tank with Phil podcast. Thanks for joining us. Go out there and get those bets in there. I'm feeling real good about the head-to-heads. Parlay that up. Make sure you give us a follow on Instagram to see what we do on race day. Let me know how you do and get those bets in. Let's cash in on Throwback Weekend. We'll see you next week for Dover. We're getting closer to my neck of the woods. Remember, drive fast, take chances, and we'll see you next time. Have no place to go. Have no place to go. Have no place to go. Have no place to go.